welcome to Cool Mom 101 with Emily Kylo. Every week, she's bringing inspiring guests to help you embrace motherhood the cool mom way. Emily knows firsthand being a mom is hard AF, but she's passionate that doesn't need to be the end of the story. Shift your perspective on what it means to be a mom while learning practical tips and mom hacks you can use right away. Stay you while nailing the mom game. That's what being a cool mom is all about. Class is now in session. Here's your host, Emily Kylo. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Cool Mom 101 podcast. I'm your host, Emily Kylo, coming at you with another fabulous episode. For this episode, episode 51, I am chatting with Sarah Adams, who is a Montessori teacher and a mother to a busy preschooler. And Sarah is on a mission to help caregivers create a prepared, organized, and child-friendly home. So we really get into so many amazing, amazing points here, but we talk a lot about the Montessori philosophy and how that's played a major role in Sarah's life. We talk about how you can incorporate the Montessori philosophy into your life. And spoiler alert, it doesn't need to be hour-long Pinterest crafts to do so. So I loved hearing that from Sarah. We also talk about her postpartum journey and some of the struggles that are all too common that she went through. So there was so much value in this episode. I learned a lot, and it was also great to hear her story and journey into motherhood. So I hope you love this episode. And before we get to the episode, I want to give everyone a reminder who has not yet checked out my free seven-day confidence challenge. So this challenge is for any woman who is ready for a confidence glow up in all areas of your life. I'm giving you the specific tools, tips, and rituals to get you there in just seven days. So make sure you check out the link in the episode show notes and let me know how it goes. I love hearing from you on Instagram at cool.mom.101. Make sure you tag me. Okay, let's get to it. Here's episode 51 with Sarah Adams from The Prepared Environment. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I'm so honored. It's my pleasure. Pleasure is all mine. So we are going to jump right into the mom fashions. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. What is the best part of being a mom? It sounds really cliche and cheesy, but it really is just that unconditional love and watching, you know, the world through new eyes and like everything is exciting and everything is new. So I feel like that's the best part. Mm-hmm. And we just had the holidays. Yeah. And I, I will say, you know, there was a time in my family where there weren't any kids around yet. And that was fun in its own way. You know, you had lots of like time to enjoy your wine with your siblings and actually have adult conversations. But I think there's a lot more magic now that there's kids around. So totally. And I don't even care about presents. Like it's so silly. I really don't like, I think I got two presents and I'm totally fine with that. Um, It was just more about her. So absolutely. Yes. I love that. Now flipping gears here. What is the hardest lesson you've learned so far as a mom? So the hardest lesson, and I knew this coming into it, was that you can't control your child. You cannot make them do anything that they don't want to do. And I knew that. I'm like a trained educator. I know these things. But having my own child, just that realization was so hard. Like Maria Montessori has a quote that um, don't control the environment. I mean, sorry, control the environment, don't control the child. And so I really am like, that's my mantra these days is just like control the environment. I'm part of the environment. I can control myself. I can't control her. So that's my biggest lesson. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I had a similar, I have, I'm still learning. That's the thing. I don't think you just all of a sudden completely are over it. Um, But I find with the control piece though, that was probably a lesson I could have learned earlier too in my life, but having a child just, I think, sped it up for me Yeah, because there's just, there's not room to keep battling that way. I mean, you can, and you do see people do it, but it's not a fun place to be in. 
And so I feel for me that it really helped me get over some of my issues around, like you're saying, you can't control other people at all, whether it's your kid, your partner, your, you know, all you can control is your emotions. And then we're going to get into this in the interview, but how the environment is, and that's kind of it. Totally. Yeah, totally. But I think it's human nature to try to want to control things. And, you know, for that mom standpoint, it's embarrassing if your child's having a tantrum in public or they're not being polite, you know, around family members. You want to control that, but you really can't. So you have to let it go. It's a really hard thing. I'm working on it daily. Yes, absolutely. The daily work, though, that makes the big impact. So Speaking of daily, what is your daily ritual? What are those things that kind of keep you grounded as a working mama? Got to have those things. What is your ritual? Okay, so I am the worst morning person. I need to really work on that. I know you have rituals. We've talked about it. I'm always so impressed when people can wake up early and exercise and do their meditation and their journaling. I just haven't found that. I'm 40 and I've never been able to do that. Um, So my morning ritual is coffee and music or a podcast on the way to work. And then I try to do meditation at night and like drink some tea and read a book. Hmm, I love that. You know what though? I'm quite passionate about nighttime routines as well because sleep for me is the most healing thing you can do. So setting yourself up to sleep well is really important. So I think having a nighttime routine is amazing. And also not everyone is going to do, you know, your hour routine before you get started in your day. And there's nothing wrong with that. Just for some people that works really well. For other people that I even coach and work with, it's like it works to do meditation. Yeah, before bed they're a little more relaxed and maybe they are more of like a nighttime person and just works well for them. So there's no, there's no one size fits all. There isn't, but I'm always slightly jealous when I see people on Instagram and I'm like, how do you wake up at five and do that? I'm just, I wish that I could do that, but I just can't. So I've accepted that about myself. Yeah. And you know, you just pivot and do what works for you and your family. And here's the thing too. She's four, maybe in a few years, you'll find yourself with some extra time in the morning, right? You just never know how that's going to evolve and change. And for me, I always tell people, I'm very upfront about this, like my kid sleeps really well and sleeps kind of sleeps in. I know people are going to hate me for this, but it's just true. So I don't actually have to set an alarm to get up before him. Right. Nine times out of 10, I naturally wake up at around 637 and he usually sleeps till like eight. Right. So, you know, to give everyone some credit, it's not like, I'm not going around making sure I set my alarm at five. I just, part of it's a bit of luck. Like he sleeps in. So why not? I do take that time, but I'm naturally a morning person. Even in my teenage years, I did not sleep in. Mm, Even when I was partying till 2 a.m., I'll still wake up at seven. That's amazing. That's that's amazing. I think that's amazing. I am not a morning person. So my daughter also sleeps. (laughs) She sleeps till about eight. But now that I were on winter break from school, I could easily sleep past her. Like, she still wakes me up. She wakes me up. And I hate setting an alarm. But I think you're right. You just have to know who you are. And I'm just not a morning person. Mm-hmm. And just adjust accordingly. You still get your routines in that keep you grounded. And like I said, who knows? In a couple of years, she might be sleeping in even more on the weekends. Might have some more time. Totally. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> So what are you most grateful for in your life right now? Oh, man, I think just for 2020, I'm just so grateful that we've made it through to this point with our health and our happiness. And I have a pretty secure job because I'm a teacher. So, um, you know, we do have that financial security, which has been great. And my grandpa's 96 and he's doing great. So we weren't able to hug him for Christmas, but we were able to wave. Um, And so I think that's the biggest thing right now. Hmm. I love that. Bless grandpa. 96. I know he's doing great. Get it. Gramps. I'm always curious. And I don't know if you know this off the top of your head right now, but from your point of view, what do you think his kind of key factors are in the fact that, you know, he is 96 and seems to be doing well still? Well, I've asked him. So he said moderation. He does everything in moderation. So he really doesn't overindulge with food. He'll have a cookie. He loves his desserts, but he'll have one. Um, He'll share half a sandwich with my dad. Um, He doesn't stress. 
So he really has said to not stress about things. That's a big thing for him. And I think he's also just such a romantic. So my grandma passed away maybe 14 years ago and he found a little lady friend down the block and she was also a widower and they just connected. And then he moved into an independent seniors facility and I think he got a lot of attention there. So he's always been a ladies man. He's always kind of, I think, seen like the joy in life. So that romantic side of him, I think, has kept him young. Mm, I love that. And I am a firm, firm believer that stress is really at the root of most your problems, especially like health-wise and mental health-wise. And I think he is so on it because we don't, we don't always realize years and years of stress we don't really know exactly what happens but we know it's not good and so if you keep your stress levels high your cortisol is really high your other hormones like they just don't have a chance and that's when you find yourself getting sick a lot or just feeling like you just need to rest because you just can't deal with it and so i think that one really sticks for me it's so important to try and like minimize your stress we sometimes don't think of that it's all about work out more, um, drink your water, like, and all the bad things, like, don't eat any cookies. But I think, yeah, the moderation piece is great, but it's also, like, yeah, how can you reduce the stress? Like, are there people in your life that are stressing you? Are there old stories that you're hanging on to that, you know, for dear life, I don't know why we do that, but that, you know, are stressing you out? Because that, I swear to goodness, is going to take years off your life. Well, I mean, I obviously don't know every part of his life, but I've never personally seen him angry um, or upset. So I'm sure he has been angry and upset, but I've never witnessed it. He's not an angry person. He's like overall just positive and happy, easygoing. He'll say when he doesn't like something, but he moves on and yeah, he's such an inspiration and he's doing great. So what an amazing role model for you, for your daughter, just everyone who comes in contact with him. Go Gramps. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this is a bit of a deep question. Uh, so I like asking it, though, because it does really get people to think, which I think that's what we're here for. So what is your why for your life? What gets you up in the morning? What gets you being the mom you are, being the educator that you are, creating the courses that you create to help families? What is your why for your life? I think I I did have to think about this. So I think I really just like helping people. I get joy out of helping people. And I've realized in the last couple of years that I help myself by helping other people. And I never made that connection before. So when I now when I go into people's homes and they're all stressed out and they're saying, oh, I'm not Montessori enough or I'm not good enough. And I say things to them like you are enough or you are doing great. I'm really saying that to myself. Like I'm really saying things I need to hear. And I only just clicked recently with that. But I think my why is just teaching, helping, trying to be positive and hopefully helping myself at the same time. Mm, That's beautiful. I love that. (laughs) So I'd love for you, Sarah, to get into a little bit about what your business is and how that whole thing got started. Okay, so my business started, I've been a teacher for uh, going on 14 years now. And when I had my daughter, I assumed I would know everything because I was trained in childhood development. And of course I would know what to do when I was a mom. Um, So a couple of things happened. First of all, I realized I really knew nothing about being a parent um, and that I had to be okay with that and just learn as I was going. Um, And I also learned that I wasn't super organized before my daughter, but I was okay because I didn't have a lot of stuff. I I wasn't a minimalist, but I got by, I was fine. But as soon as we had our daughter, like at one point we had three strollers. We had one child, three strollers, because people were giving us hand-me-downs. And I would just take everything. Um, and we would have like a playpen and extra saucer and, you know, a jumping thing. And it was just jolly jumper. It was just too much. And I didn't know what I needed and what I didn't need. Um, and so I kind of just looked around and I was so overwhelmed with my space. And I thought, I need to get organized. And so I'm going to become a professional organizer and I'm going to be my first client. And so I did that. Um, And then I went back and I did my training in the younger years because I was trained for six to 12 year olds. Um, So I did my baby Montessori course. 
And then I just started helping people. And so it kind of just naturally evolved from there. I didn't start out as like a business, but it's just, I, I actually had so much fun with it. I love going into people's homes and just like fixing it. It's done and I leave. Um, I really enjoy that. And then it just kind of evolved into something. That is so cool. So how long have you been helping families then? Did you say kind of the, around the time Layla was born? Somewhere after so it was around like when she was around one and a half, um, I started. So there was a spring break. It was when I was back at work. So I think she was one and a half. And um, I put it on Facebook. I'm starting a business. Is anyone interested in me coming to their home? I'm looking for five to 10 people. And I ended up having 40 families that I visited during two weeks of spring break. Like I was a little bit of a maniac, but I was so into it. And I was just trying to improve on what I was doing. And my first visit was probably not great. I was a little bit nervous. I wasn't so sure of myself, um, but it got better. So I did like a lot of people, um, but it was, it's been a couple of years. It's been two and a half years now. Mm, that's amazing. So I'd love to hear, so you talked about how you are a, you're a Montessori teacher is what I would call you, right? Okay. Um, how did you first discover that? So you obviously were saying you got into that teaching before you were a parent. So it wasn't through that. So I'd love to hear your journey into education and how that all came about. Um, okay. So I basically have been Montessori in Montessori my whole life, as far as I remember. So my mom put me in preschool when I was three in a Montessori preschool and my mom was a teacher. So that was the first time she had heard about Montessori and then she became Montessori trained. So she became a Montessori teacher. Um, and so I was in Montessori school from the age of three to age 12. And then I went to high school and then I really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, but I knew I enjoyed working with children and just helping people. So I volunteered throughout high school and university in Montessori schools. And then I did an art history degree which was amazing because I went to Europe for a semester and it was just so much fun. And then I realized you can't do much with an art history degree. <laughs> like it's very, there are only specific jobs you can do with that, but I could become a teacher with it. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to become a teacher. So I became a teacher and then I did my Montessori training. Um, and that's basically it. Mm, very cool. And so for like me, I have a little bit of knowledge about Montessori, but I think because Leo's still young. We still have a, have a nanny. I haven't really gotten into what the options are. I would love if you could explain for like me, the people who need the one-on-one version, what is Montessori and what are kind of the basics that are involved? Okay, good question. So um, Montessori was developed by someone named Dr. Maria Montessori, who lived in Italy over a hundred years ago. And uh, she was one of the first female like modern doctors. So she had a really hard time going, getting into university and then she really persevered through that. Um, and she was given this task when she came out of university to take these children who lived in a lower income area of Rome um, and their parents were at work. She was given 50 children in this daycare space basically. And the, they said, do something with these kids. And they really had low expectations of these children. And she kind of developed an educational method using observations. So she would try materials and see if it would work with these children or not. And what ended up happening is they actually developed and did so much better on tests than like children in normal schools, you know, schools that were set up for them. And so she got a lot of um, attention that way. And she kind of created a method. And so the method is based on the fact that children are individual, which would have been very different back then because back then all children sat in desks and they followed the same curriculum. And if you were six, you did the same thing six-year-olds did. Um, but with a Montessori method, children go at their own pace. So if you're a little bit behind the expected um, kind of thing that a child of your age would do, that's fine. And if you're further ahead, that's fine too, um, because there are Montessori materials that you use and it's not a textbook that sort of start and starts and finishes. You can use it as many times as you want. Um, so the main principles of Montessori are that things are hands-on. Children learn best when they're hands-on. Um, we believe that the child is capable of learning and we just have to set up an environment for them and that we trust and respect the child, which again would be very different back then, right? Like a hundred years ago, that would have been revolutionary. Um, and so sometimes people see Montessori on Pinterest or Instagram and they see a Montessori classroom, 
and think that if they want to have a Montessori parenting style, it has to look like the classroom, and that's not true. You can use the philosophy of Montessori in your home without buying anything special and without having to do much. Mm, I love that because I think we've really gone, gone a little down the rabbit hole of the whole Pinterest yeah. mom type thing. Yeah. And that whole, I think, idea of almost a t- trying to attain perfection in whatever style you want to parent. Yeah. And so I'm really glad you brought that up because, first of all, perfection it doesn't exist. And I think if you're just comparing something you see on Pinterest, it's kind of like the Instagram highlight reel. Yes. Right? You, I'm only seeing a, a small portion of your life. I shouldn't compare my day-to-day life to what I see on your, you know, your highlight reel, which is totally. Instagram. Totally. <laughs> so I think similar thing probably happens. And it just makes me sad, though, because I feel moms and parents just get discouraged then. Um, so in those cases, how would you advise parents can kind of work through that? Is it with maybe working with you in, in like a consulting capacity? Is it just reading more about the philosophy and knowing that incorporating that is enough? Are there any like specific things you would tell parents to do? Um, I mean, all of those things are great. So the first thing is I would suggest learning a little bit about child development. Um, and you can do that. There are so many blogs out there. But what I really like is if you go to the Montessori notebook, her name's Simone Davies. She's really great. Um, but just learning, like, what's appropriate for children. Because sometimes people expect that their child, like, for example, will sit at a table and play with this activity that they set up for, like, half an hour. And they get so discouraged when they set up something they've seen on Instagram or Pinterest and their child touches it for 30 seconds and walks away. But the thing is, is that I think a child's attention span is like one to four minutes times their age. So let's say like a two-year-old, they might be able to pay attention to something or focus on something for a couple minutes. That's age appropriate. But if you're expecting them to do it for 20 minutes and just getting down on yourself, that doesn't make sense. Um, The other thing you can do is observe your child. So Montessori is really based on observation and it's hard to not assume but if you sit and literally watch your child like do they play with their toys how often do they touch that toy um what are they able to do on their own you learn a lot more from them than like having your assumptions and again going on Pinterest and you know putting what you think is going to be a good thing for them instead of looking at your actual child um, and then yes I would love to work with families so I go into people's homes I help them set it up and then now because of COVID I'm doing virtual consults. Mm, that's so cool and so what do you typically like what does a typical session look like can you walk us through that and then the second part of that question would be what are the typical I don't want to call them downfalls that's not the right Mm -hmm. word but what are the typical challenges I guess you see with families Mm -hmm. so when I'm doing it physically so in the lower mainland I go into people's homes and I physically help them declutter and it's like a two-hour job and we're done so it seems really overwhelming but often we're done before two hours is even up and it's crazy because it seems really overwhelming for families um, but you don't usually spend like an hour and a half decluttering right? You kind of look at it and then get discouraged and walk away. So when I come, we talk about what activities your child is playing with, which ones they don't play with, which ones drive crazy, what's working, what's not working. Um, And then we physically touch every single toy and we declutter the toys that don't work. So we, and then the ones that are left, we store them um, or we leave them out. And so that's what I do when I do it in a home physically. Now that I'm doing virtually, they send me photos and they tell me, I send a questionnaire, they give me information, and then I write up a report with some suggestions, and we kind of go back and forth on email until we have a space that they're happy with. Um, Some downfalls are often parents, I do this myself, will buy toys because they wanted it as a child, right? Ah. So, for example, I have a dollhouse that I've purchased. It was not cheap. I wanted a dollhouse like this. I didn't have one. I bought it for Layla. Does she use it? Sometimes, not always, but I've held on to it because I love it, and that's okay too. Um, But I think sometimes parents hold on to things because they've been given it as a gift, and they feel bad about letting it go. They're living their childhood through their child, or they don't really know what 
a developmentally appropriate toy is and so they'll hold on to it so those are things i see and also the money like you think about the money you spent and so you don't want to just donate it but i think if it's not working for your home and your child it's better just to pass it on to a child that would appreciate it and play with it mm-hmm. i'm lucky in that i'm i'm pretty ruthless like i don't ruthless makes me sound harsh but <laughs> i I like this concept because I, this is how I live my life. Like if I have clothes, even if I bought them kind of recently, but they either don't fit properly. Like, so if it's not a perfect fit and I'm sure similar to a toy, like you said, if it's really development mentally inappropriate, then it's just, it's just not going to work and it's taking up space. And for me, things take up energy as well. right? Like it takes up the physical space, but then there's like the energy that it kind of takes up as well. So I love this idea of being able to just let things go if it's not working and not feel guilty about it. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. And it's easier for your child to access the toys and clean up if they have less. And they will really play with things longer when they have less out. It seems like counterintuitive. It doesn't seem like it will make sense, but I will usually go and take out half the amount of toys from someone's home and they will say, my child has actually played with the toys longer and it's you know easier for them to clean up. Mm, I love that. And you know, I have a question about kind of storage, which I'm mm-hmm. sure a lot of people have. Mm-hmm. Does that play a big part in how you approach working with families and what you suggest? Like, is it best to have toys... Um, stored where the children can reach it and have access to it. What are your thoughts on that? So toys that are left out that you want them to play with, they should be able to access independently. Like if they can't, let's say, for example, you have a puzzle under a box, under another thing, they're never going to use that puzzle or they're going to pull the puzzle out and everything's going to fall and it's going to be frustrating for everyone. So anything you want them to play with, they should be able to access independently and that's for every age. Um, And then you should have toys in storage that get rotated. And I recommend not having those visible because the children are going to want to have it. So you want to have it like literally can be under your bed, under your couch, in an ottoman, in a cabinet, in the pantry, like wherever you have space in your home that makes sense for you, have stuff in storage. And then when it's time to rotate, it's like shopping in your own home and you just go and rotate. And sometimes kids are older and I say that you can say it's like a toy library. So they can say, I'm done with this puzzle. I'd like to trade it. When they're little, they're not going to do that. That's not an expectation you should have. You just rotate it on a Sunday night when they're sleeping. And I wouldn't rotate everything. I would just rotate like a couple toys at a time. This is so smart. And you know what? That's been, uh, speaking of downfalls, that's been one of mine is that I do rotate. I do take them out, but they're in an area of the basement that every once in a while he can see. If say I'm going to grab um, something out of, there's like a deep freeze freezer and I bring him with me, then he'll see like his gigantic truck. And I'm like, yeah. Oh, and then, you know, he's going to want it. And it's totally, I'm not upset about it because it right. makes sense, but it's much smarter what you're saying. <laughs> Why right. did I not think of this? <laughs> right. Even if it's just in a box that's like not clear or if it's higher or something, it's just like slightly away. It will just be helpful. Mm-hmm. Just keep that a little more simple. <laughs> One more thing I wanted to ask you about kind of development. Cause I do think I really liked what you said about understanding some of the child development will really help you understand what is developmentally appropriate. And I think it just helps you to manage your expectations. And it's something I'm learning a lot more about too. Like you gave a great example that, you know, my kid who's two, it's two to five minutes is probably as much as his attention span is going to go. Um, And now that I understand that, I I am not concerned uh, at all. I'm like, oh, great. When he colors for 10 minutes, I'm like, wow. (laughs) That's amazing. You go. Totally. (laughs) So I'm wondering, what are some other resources? Do you have any books that you can recommend or... Uh, other resources that are specific, I know you mentioned the blog, but are specific to child development that might be useful for listeners? My biggest one, I 
I really recommend to everyone. It's called the Montessori Toddler, and it's really good for like babies, even up to like I teach elementary school kids, and there's stuff that still applies to them. Um, and so it's a great book. You don't have to read it in any order. Um, it's written by Simone Davies. It talks about child development. It talks about setting up your home. It's like the perfect. It's like a Montessori Bible. I recommend it to everyone. Um, so I would start there and then look at her blog as well. Okay. Thank you so much. That is great. I think it's just always, I mean, you're an educator, so you'll know this more than anyone, but I think having that knowledge is such a good place to start from. And I think it just brings so much more understanding as opposed to getting down on yourself or frustrated because I think that understanding just allows you to just accept a lot more. That's what I'm finding. Yeah, totally. And I think it's that, you know, it's important to know that kids are so different. So when you see like by age, by 18 months, they should be able to do this and your child can't do it. Some people really get stressed out. And so there, you know, there are some things you want to talk to your doctor about. So if your child can't do like, let's say roll over by a certain age, just checking in with your doctor is important, but every child is different and every child will have different stages and spurts of interest. So they might color for 10 minutes and then the next day they might color for one minute and not want to do it. And in your head, you're like, but you could do it for 10 minutes. And why can't you, and it can be very frustrating but you have to remember that your child is going through so much development. It's impossible for them to be consistent with everything all the time. And so I think if we just let that pressure on ourselves and our child go, um, we will be much happier parents and they will be much happier children. Absolutely. Happier family all around. (laughs) Totally. So the other thing I was really curious to talk to you about switching gears here a little bit, is I would love to hear about your journey into motherhood. So what was that like for you? Did you always know you wanted to have children? Like you said, you loved working with them, but you know, working with children and having your own is not the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, I just love to hear about your experience. Yeah. So if I can be truly honest, I always wanted, I always knew I wanted to have children, but I always knew I probably wouldn't enjoy being pregnant. Um, I'm like super, I've had a lot of anxiety my whole life. I've been an anxious person. And so I knew that anxiety would be something that would probably be part of my pregnancy. Um, Luckily, we didn't have any like fertility issues. So Um, we were able to get pregnant pretty quickly. And so that didn't cause anxiety, but I was anxious a lot during my pregnancy and I was on my doctor's radar. I did have therapy. I did see a psychologist and a counselor. Um, and so I did have a lot of support around that. And I had done a lot of sort of self-help work in my twenties and in my thirties to help me become a less anxious person and live with it in a way that would work for me. Um, but becoming a mom, I was just shocked at how sleep deprivation really affected me. (laughs) I am not someone who does well without sleep. Um, and you know, so it was this like wave of, Oh my gosh, I love this child so much. And then I don't want to mess this up. And just the anxiety would just come. And then, you know, I worked through it. And part of it I know was um, postpartum anxiety. And part of it was my anxiety that I'm always going to have. So it wasn't easy. I wasn't surprised. I don't think anyone in my life was surprised. Um, I did definitely work with like postpartum support groups. And I went to some. Um, and you know, I tried to exercise and meditate and sleep. Sleep was really hard for me. So I had the thing that worked for me was I had an acupuncturist come to my home and she did this treatment and it totally helped me because my body was just in such a state of like overdrive. And I, like you said, I had cortisol running through, like, I just, I could not relax. I could not shut off. And so that really helped. Um, and then I think it was probably like six months in that I started enjoying it. Like when she could sit up and was like a little bit more, um, you know, interactive and sleep a little bit longer, I started really, really enjoying it. Mm. Thank you for sharing all that. It's, yeah, it's never, it's never an easy journey that I hear of, especially when you get the truth from people. It's, it's never easy. And then you went into it already, dealing with a mental health 
concern and then you add to it the stress and the sleep deprivation that goes along with any newborn and it, it could have been a real you know terrible recipe but it sounds like you had the support systems kind of in place and I think one part of your story there that I think is important to note too is that you were realistic going into it as much as you could be um see I think I was a bit naive we all are going into parenting but I was the naivety that was saying or thinking things like oh like well I'm not going to get sleep deprivation like that's not going to be a thing like I'm not going to be frustrated with my partner because like we're great why would that happen to me like I had a bit of that um so I think it was shocking when you know surprise surprise as we now know all those things happened to me I was like what the f is going on right now (laughs) um and I think similar to your story I it actually took me almost a year to start enjoying motherhood and for me like leo's only two but my second year of motherhood has been like it keeps getting better for me is i guess how i can describe it so that first year i was like full of regret essentially and stress and yeah even me in the beginning sleeping even when i was exhausted i had that cortisol coursing through my body and i was like if i fall asleep like Will he, will he just wake up in two minutes and then I'm going to be up again? Like, those are the thoughts that were kind of running through my head. Like, is he okay still? Uh, you know, it's like all that stress. So I know you touched on this a bit, but if you could expand a little more on the things that you think really helped you get through that hard, you know, first six months. Mm-hmm. So I think the biggest thing is support. Like, I remember my mom was the one who called the postpartum. Um, I don't... I don't remember their name, but she called them and like passed me the phone and was like, you just need to talk to someone. Um, My husband was amazing. Like you said, we, I never thought I would get so irritated with him being so nice to, like there was just, he could not win. Basically he could not win. And I think that there obviously is like a primal part of being a parent that's like, we're trying to keep our child alive. And so, you know, when he would take her, when she was crying, it would hurt my heart. It would hurt my brain. And I'd be like, I just need to take her. And so I had this control issue that I couldn't even, you know, realize I had because I was just so sleep derived and in that fog, but he was very helpful. Um, I had a great system of like friends. Um, and my, like, like I said, my mom was just amazing. She was there. She watched Layla. She was so helpful. Um, and then I had the counselor and the doctors and psychologists and the midwives and the specialists. So even having all that support, it was still really hard. Um, but that's what got me through it. Mm-hmm. So kind of what I'm hearing from you is have all that support ready to go yes. too. Cause I think, you know, you had your mom who luckily was like, I'm just calling this person. But I think having those beforehand, like whether it's a lactation consultant, um, a counselor that you trust that you can talk to if you need to, I think that is key from what I'm hearing from you. Just having that a little bit set up just because you don't know how your experience might go. You're totally right. And I think even like, for example, my labor, I had a doula. And by the time, you know, my labor progressed so quickly, um, you know, she was using the TINS machine, you know, like that was supposed to, and I, I can't feel this. Like I purchased the, the, the pads for it, and I, but I don't regret doing it. Even though I didn't really need it, I don't regret having that. So like you said, having all the supports, and even if you don't need it, just having, you know, frozen meals in the freezer and, um, you know, food stocks. My dad would bring me like iced coffees and plums and whatever it was, he would just drop it off at our doorstep. So just having a support network and ha- if you don't have that, having things in place um, definitely helps. And if you don't need it, it's okay. Totally. It's yeah. all good. It's better to have that, yes. like you said, kind of in your back pocket. And then same with the thing, like we talked about having a counselor or a psychologist that you just have the numbers of or a lactation consultant. Yeah. Just knowing that you have those people to lean on if you need, I think can even absolve a little bit of the stress (laughs) and you might never even need them. (laughs) Totally. That's so true. Like just knowing that you can have them if you need it. That's yeah, definitely true. 
Totally. If I do it again, the biggest thing for me is I would hire a postpartum doula 1000%. And then what you talked about, about meals, I wasn't, I definitely had helped some help from family and, you know, some meals, but I think frankly, I don't want to cook for a month at least. Right. Yeah. So I'm like going to make sure that if we do it again, that's set up for us because I just don't want to have to think about it. But nutrition is so important. And for a mom who's healing, no matter what way you give birth, it doesn't matter. Like whether it was C-section or vaginal, et cetera, it's like it's still a large wound in your (laughs) stomach that your body's trying to heal uh, regardless of how it happens for you. And I think the nutrition the more that I research about it is so important. So having those things, like we said, in place is huge and it takes that weight off your shoulders. 100%. And I think the other thing that was really good for me is I'm pretty vocal and I, my needs and my wants were listened to. So I had a team, like my midwives, my team, my first question was, can I have an epidural if I have a midwife? Yeah, 100%. And I never, I actually got my epidural super, super late. Like every plan I had (laughs) didn't work, but I had people that were like, yes, you can have that. And so that was important. I said to my husband, I don't want anyone visiting me in the hospital room, like except for my parents and my best friend that was listened to. So I didn't have pressure. I had people that were listening to me and um, you know, that really took a lot of weight off. I didn't have to go anywhere. You know, like I saw moms who were at the, you know, playground and they just had their baby the other day and they were fine. I didn't want to do that. I knew that wasn't going to be me and I didn't have pressure from people, which was really helpful. Really, really huge. Yeah. I love all that. There were so many good tips in there, I think, for people, even if you're like me and have, you know, already even had a kid. (laughs) There's always things to learn. (laughs) (laughs) So Sarah, before we get into the lightning round, I wanted to take a moment to acknowledge you for your amazing work that you do to really support families and support kids who are our future. So the amazing work that you do, it doesn't go unnoticed and you just have affected so many lives positively. So I want to acknowledge you for that. Thank you. That's so nice. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so let's get into the lightning round. What is your favorite book? Um, well, the book I read over and over again is The Four Agreements. I love it. I just, I, I always, I need reminders. So um, whenever I'm kind of feeling out of sync or like anxious or, you know, jealous or whatever it is, I read that again and I feel more aligned. Mm, I love it. I need to find mine because I do have it somewhere. I think I just had stored it away when I moved and I just, it hasn't resurfaced. I can buy another copy. My one like that is The Alchemist. I often revisit that one. Similar reason. It's like, it just kind of puts things into a nice perspective for me and kind of grounds me again in what's actually important and like watching Tiffany's Instagram stories and worrying and comparing is not. Like right. that kind of thing. <laughs> I haven't read that. I'll have to put it on my list. I'm a reader. I know you're a reader too, I so I love reading. I'll put that on my list. Oh, I think you'll like it. It's, um, yeah, Paulo Coelho, and it's a really, really good book. It's short, like The Four Agreements. Like, it's fast. And, yeah, it's a really it's a really great story, and it's kind of like a life lessons type of story. So I'm, I'm going to write that down. <laughs> I think you'll like it. What is your drink of choice? Can be alcohol, can be not, whatever it is. What's your favorite? Um, coffee. Anyone who knows me, <laughs> I am coffee, like, I'm a coffee lover, for sure. You know, it's funny, because I often will say, like, oh, champagne or wine, and I do love those things, but if I had to pick one drink aside, like, outside of water mm-hmm. to have for my life, it would be coffee. Yeah, same. I smell like coffee all the time. Like, I am the, I just love coffee. I love the smell of it. I love just tasting it. I'm definitely a coffee drinker. Same. And I just love the ritual of it. Like I just, one of my favorite things to do too is just go either work because I have my own business now that's portable uh, as I, especially pre kind of COVID times, but um, I still, there's some places I can still go, but I love going to like a nice coffee shop, my laptop, get like a beautiful coffee and do a little bit of work. I just, or read a book. It's just so good. I know. Same. Best. Favorite podcast. Well, 
I'm on it right now. I really like your podcast. I, I'm a, actually, I love podcasts. I listen to podcasts probably every day um, when I'm driving to work or walking. So I'm loving your podcast. I, I listen to so many. Um, I love This American Life. I don't know if you've listened to it. It just has oh, like yeah. stories. I really like that one. Um, the one I started is it's called Feel Good Effect. It's like mm. a mom, and her whole thing is just like little steps you can make for positive change in your life. And it's like 10 minutes of exercise will make it. Everything is manageable, and she's so soothing. So I really like that one. Mm, I'm going to have to check that out because that sounds very up my alley. <laughs> I would like a Favorite TV show or movie? Okay, favorite TV show is Seinfeld. I can literally watch it nonstop on repeat. Um, and my ta- favorite uh, movie is probably Love Actually. Like, I watch it every single Christmas. At least same. One. Yeah, love it. It's just so good. Yeah, and the same parts give me the same emotional reactions every time I watch it. Okay, wait. What part makes you the saddest? Oh, when she opens up the CD instead of the necklace, I cry every single time. Because her, she's such a great actress. And then, like, just her reaction is so realistic. And I've been there. I've, you know, had relationships where I found things which I shouldn't have. And I just get that whole body feel. How about you? Oh, 100%. It's like, it. they did that so stunningly well. It's so powerful. And I think, I don't know if you feel this way too, but I've watched Love Actually forever. So there were times when I wasn't a mom and I watched it. And I think now I watch it as a mom and I'm like, that reaction, like it almost gives me tingles because you're trying to hold it together because it's Christmas and Eve or whatever, and you're not going to ruin it for your kids. Even though you just found out that, I mean, at best he was giving an expensive necklace yes. someone at worst it, like she yes. said it's love uh, yes. and she just keeps it together and you know I'm not usually an advocate of brush things under the rug for the kids or the stay together for the kids but in that moment I think I would try and do the same because it's like I don't want to ruin their Christmas I know it's just so it's such an emotional scene and yeah it, every single time I watch it it just hits me the same way same okay and who's your favorite couple on love actually oh i mean i love um what's his name oh my gosh i'm so bad with names um the writer and aurelia, aurelia. That, that's my favorite <laughs> jamie yeah jamie jamie yeah. And aurelia, and they both learn each other's languages at the end and then the dad kisses him on the lips and this i just yeah that's my favorite couple for sure it's mine too and i think there's something about that story of almost not redemption, but you know, Jamie has the the cheating situation. Yeah. And I'm like, good for him. Like he yeah. deserves to have a happy ending. And I think not to get too like analytical, but there's something to be learned by the fact that he just was like, you know what? I'm gonna go pursue my dream yeah. and like write this like book and just kind of not that you wanna brush again, not brushing things under the yeah. rug, but he was like, I'm making this decision and I'm going to do this. And then he ends up falling in love. It's just so, so cute. Yeah, I love that. I think I'm going to have to watch it again tonight. I know. That's what I'm thinking. I'm like, mm, one more time before the season is over. Yeah. I, I have to wait. Like, it's so funny because I'm like, okay, no, it's November 1st. I got to wait until like November 15th and then I can start watching it because I just love it so much. Mm, so good. Yeah. What is your favorite place you've traveled? Ooh, that's a good question. So I don't really have a favorite place, but I love anywhere on the West Coast. So like the Oregon coast, California. My husband and I did a road trip. My girlfriend got married in Vegas before Layla was born. And we did a road trip where we drove from here down the coast, across to Vegas. We did the Grand Canyon. It was so much fun. So I don't have one place, but I would say somewhere on the coast. Yep. You're an ocean girl. I'm definitely an ocean girl. Yeah. Same. I feel weird when I'm not near one. Yes. Like, is there an ocean nearby? <laughs> and the weird thing is, I'm like the worst swimmer. So I just love watching, like seeing the water. I don't necessarily need to swim in it. I like to wade. No, that's fine. Yeah. But I think there's still like this kind of healing power to the ocean. And it's so expansive and it just goes on and on. It's so beautiful. And I think, yeah, even if I don't go in it, it's like you're just in that presence and it's the best. Yeah. So obviously we can't really travel too much right now, but if you could jump on a plane tomorrow, what is your dream destination right now? 
I think just somewhere warm, like Hawaii, maybe. Hawaii. Yeah. <sighs> Can't go wrong with Hawaii. It just smells good there, even. <laughs> this is warm and it has water. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the smell is just amazing. So I'm going to say Hawaii. Awesome. I love that. Okay, so final question before we sign off. Something I love teaching women about and I'm very passionate about is having confidence. Because for me, confidence is what you know, for you, it it was a huge part of how you were able to start a business, right? Mm -hmm. And decide, oh, I actually have a skill at this. I can help people. I'm just going to go do it because not everyone, not everyone follows through. So I'd love to hear from you, Sarah. What does confidence mean? Mm, That's such a good question. So if I just think of times where I've been confident in my life versus times I haven't been confident, I think the difference is just like knowing myself. So knowing my mission, who I am, and being confident and comfortable to, to express that, even if it's something that other people don't necessarily understand or believe in, um, just having that belief in myself and being comfortable in my own skin. Um, I think those are like, those are sort of the qualities I've had when I felt confident. When you're your most confident, it's yeah. like having that, having that true north and not yeah not letting yourself get distracted or your ego get in the way. And I love that. That's amazing. Totally. totally. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for being here. Everyone make sure you go follow along. Where's the best place to get in touch with you? Um, so I'm on Instagram at the prepared environment and I have a website called the prepared environment project. And, um, I love to just simplify Montessori for parents and you can always reach out, send me a DM and I'd love to talk to you. Awesome. So make sure you go check out Sarah's offerings. She has courses and then you do the kind of more one-on-one consulting we talked about. So, so many resources to help families out and everyone stay in touch and have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much, Sarah. Thank you for listening to Cool Mom 101 with Emily Kylo. If you liked our podcast, please be sure to leave a comment or review and be sure to tune in next time.